for listening to Women of the Seven Cities podcast. I'm your creator and host, Abby Weaver. The purpose of this podcast is to encourage, inspire, and empower women in Hampton Roads to be more than they think is possible. You will hear true stories from women who are just like you. Women who became inspired to create businesses or run for school board. Women who don't let anything stand in their way. I hope you enjoy this show. And please, take some notes. You might learn something new today. Um, Thank you for listening to Women of the Seven Cities. Today I get the opportunity to interview Lisa Kendrick. Um, Welcome. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for being here. I uh, really appreciate it. So let's just start simple. The same question I ask everybody um, at the beginning and the end is, um, who is Lisa Kendrick? Um, I am uh, an educator and a poet and, um, and a mom and an activist. It's kind of <laughs> it in a nutshell. That's what I, I have on my, for my tagline for my, my website and Twitter and everything. That's awesome. Um, so, um, you said activist. What do you do for your activism? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just try to, um, speak out in the community and, um, I just kind of like, for instance, um, I have volunteered with Planned Parenthood and, um, I, I do attend, you know, marches. I think that, um, a part of citizenship and democracy is speaking out and being heard. And so I think that's really important. I think it's really important because it empowers other people, not just women, but other men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really um, empowering thing to do these marches. So um, you're an educator. Tell me about yes. uh, what you do for work. Um, I have been teaching for about 21, 22 years. Um, and I am certified in history English, uh, communication, theater, and uh, English as a second language. Wow. And um, I primarily have taught, I did begin in, uh, in middle school years ago. Um, I have primarily for the last 10 years taught exclusively um, like English communication, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and you're a published author. Mm-hmm. Um, I got your book. I haven't read it, but I got it. Oh, cool. So I'm really looking forward to that. Why don't you um, tell me a little bit about your book? Um, I have two poetry books out right now, and um, one is called Witch, and it is um, a collection of pieces that I have performed at local venues, um, mostly on the south side. Um, this summer, I'm allowed down to go perform at some places on the peninsula, um, but that's sort of my feminist poetry that has been really popular as spoken word. Um, and then I have Grafted, which is um, my more sort of academic poetry. Um, I compiled those pieces probably and wrote them over like a 10 year span. And I have workshopped most all of them um, at the Muse Writer Center, um, which has been great. And um, uh, various ones have been published in other anthologies before I put the book together. Um, it is uh, an autobiographical piece, um, and it was just something that I felt like I kind of wanted to get out there. Um, that's really first. that's a really creative way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what really inspires you? Um, 
<laughs> so many things inspire me. Um, as a poet, I mean, I've gone through stages. Um, I, I am interested in the environment, and so I have um, sort of natural-based environmental poetry stuff, but that's not really that popular these days. So I have quite a few political pieces. Um, I have uh, uh, other political pieces that are not feminist-based that are just about, you know, democracy and citizenship and equality and things like that. Um, that will be put together at a later date. Um, but I also research, currently I've been researching a lot of mythologies mm -hmm. and um, building, slowly building a collection of, of sort of academic pieces um, from the perspectives of different female deities throughout history from all different cultures and all different time periods. Okay, so where do you um, hope to take this? Um, the poetry is just something that I love to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, you know, poets don't make money. It's not, it's not a money maker. Um, it's something that I just do because I love doing it and because I've always written poetry since I can remember. I know it was terrible before I was like at least in the 20s most of it. Um, and it's something that I'll just always continue to do kind of as like a way to, um, I don't know, to get things out that I would like to be able to say or that really interest me. Um, my other work um, that I hope one day to make money from and maybe even retire with um, is my curriculum. Okay, so, so tell me about your curriculum and, and how that works. So I, um, since I am a writer, um, I've always sort of specialized in grammar and writing education. Um, more so in later years, I've, I've gone more to the literary side, but um, they all go together, and because I have certifications in history and literature, and I've read so much, and I'm like a history buff, so I watch, you know, all these documentaries, I have my whole life. I'm and, the same way. <laughs> you know, I look at one, I'm like, what? That's cool. And then I'll research something from that, you know, and I can mm -hmm. just go down rabbit holes for like all day, every day, if I could. My, like, <laughs> history, like, the biggest thing in history that I am, I don't want to say addicted to because it sounds weird, but um, I'll say obsessed with. The biggest thing in history that I'm obsessed with is um, World War II and anything that has to do with the Holocaust. Uh -huh. Those are my two favorite subjects to learn about. Um, I've been to the Holocaust Museum and D.C. and Richmond, and it's on my list to go to the top ten in the world mm -hmm. before I die. So I still have, like, plenty of time. Wow. But, um... Yeah, mine is um, prior to the 1900s. Like, I prefer really ancient history and okay. then early, you know, history. And when it gets to the sort of modern eras in the World Wars, I'm... That's not where my interest really is as much. Um, and part of that is just because uh, teaching literature, um, those literary pieces are pulled, you know, from the last, like, I'd say maybe not a thousand years, but certainly um, close to it, probably. Um, and, and so sort of the development of that over the years has always fascinated me in the history surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, for my writing, it's a sort of a writing grammar, it's, it's a, what's called teaching across the curriculums. So I pull in, for instance, um, any piece of literature, um, like if it's the Romantic Era or the Enlightenment or whatever. There are art pieces that reflect, like they go through, like you can put literature history and art history together. Okay. And they reflect each other. Just one is the visual part of how writers are writing and feeling at that time and one is the written word and then if you put sort of key historic points that are going on at the same time it all creates a picture together so I believe in teaching all of those things together so that it will be more meaningful that's really awesome um, now 
unfortunately, there's no way to really make grammar fun, really. I mean, I think it's fun because I teach English, but <laughs> and grammar is a weakness that we see in students a lot. Mm -hmm. So the grammar curriculum, the base of that is not as interesting, and I, but I do try to pull in like lit pieces and, and art pieces for them to write about. But the grammar I teach differently than most teachers I've ever seen. So most teachers teach um, what's sort of called a bottom-up. If you think of knowledge as a pyramid, mm -hmm. and so you learn all the rules and you memorize the rules, and then you you build on those rules. And that never really worked for me because I was an avid reader. I mean, I was reading, you know, literature <laughs> looked like classic literature when I was nine and ten. So I look at language some sort of above it, and I broke it down based upon my reading. Um, and I never learned by memorizing the rules, and I've never really taught by doing that. Okay. And so about ten years ago, I really looked at my writing grammar and writing teaching and I was like what am I doing here I'm doing something different and so I started compiling and so what I do is sort of a top-down methodology mm -hmm. where we um, just look at the broadened concepts and and how to use just portions you know just the things that they need because everybody doesn't need to know all the grammar rules like you want to write that's the that's the goal and so I have sort of pulled apart and and sort of watered down not Exactly watered down, but just made very specific mm -hmm. the key fundaments that you need to sort of build. And I believe in writing and using the grammar as you write and putting it all together. Okay. So grammar was never my strongest <laughs> subject. It isn't for most students. It's yeah, <laughs> especially you know when I got into middle school, we had cell phones, and then everybody started coming out with the texting language, and mm -hmm. so um, now I'm at the point where I hate it when somebody just sends me K or like T H X. Well, like, those things kind of drive me crazy at this point. I'm just like, be an adult and use a full sentence. Yeah. That would be helpful. Yeah. Um, some teachers really were really stressed out when the whole texting thing came because they're like, oh, it's going to destroy the language. And now, though, since most phones finish words for you, mm -hmm. I see that as less of an issue. But I also think we have to use technology to our advantage. Um, the positive to texting and things like that, or at least originally, when it literally could only be so many characters, mm -hmm. is at least students were learning concision because they they were they were used to saying something to their friend in limited characters, and that at least helped with clarity in writing. Art, art should have used correctly, but in any case, the 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 grammar writing that I'm trying to put together this summer to hopefully be published in the fall is the less interesting portion because it's more of the the mechanics and the, the grammar of, of putting it together with that mm -hmm. method that I use. Um, and then I hope to take it, you know, in the next year or the next summer probably because that's really only, the only time I have it, is um, take it to the writing that involves the history and the art and, you know, projects. That sounds that like a really awesome and project to you. Yeah, so, and I have the pieces to it. It's just that I have them in hundreds of files and folders <laughs> of curriculum that I've used. I mean, I have notebooks and probably thousands of pages. Of wow. Yeah. So do other teachers use your curriculum or do you um, just use it for your classes? They do not. I use it for my class. Um, most of them in my de department who I've worked with know that that's kind of how I teach it, but um, English teachers especially, we like to do things our own ways, which does make it better because different ways work for different students. Mm -hmm. um, I have been called upon a lot to teach remediation mm -hmm. because my method where it's it's a top-down is faster and it's more specific so students can learn more in a shorter period of time and I do have students every year who say to me I've never understood this till, till you did it this way you know so I feel like it's it works 
I might have to take a grammar lesson from you. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like that's something that I need to put on my list is just join one of your one of your classes. Yeah, and I, I want to um, put the lessons on YouTube. Um, but a technology, I mean, I, I'm okay with technology. I'm not the greatest. Um, I definitely don't want me on the video all the time. So I've, I've got a projector and I'm trying to figure out, you know, so that there's a projection that's going on yeah. while I'm talking. So like, that way um, it takes the pressure off a little bit of me being in front of it. What's that say? Like Khan Academy. Mm. I used Khan Academy a lot in school and I always found that very helpful. And it's just a man with a board uh -huh. and he's doing all the stuff he's got to do while he's talking about it. I don't think I've ever actually seen him. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, something like that. Exactly. That's what I That's what I want to do, um, both for my students mm -hmm. so that they can use it during the school years, but also... Um, I had a co-teacher one year, well, like a year ago, and she um, she developed um, grammar curriculum. Well, it was a lexicon, I guess, and vocabulary for English language learners uh, associated with art because they could take ESL courses, but they didn't have the jargon for mm -hmm. art. And that's what she did. She uploaded her just reading through the lessons, and that's free on YouTube. So students, like... it in other places in the world, like all over the world, would professors picked up on it and they would send their students and they could look at the YouTube for free, but then they would require the students to purchase her published version of it. And she made a pretty good side living in other countries just from having done that. And wow. it was at almost just the cost of her publishing the first, you know, publication and then, you know, entire classes would buy it. So like she would make her money yeah. like at the beginning of semesters in other countries. And um, I was like, oh, this would be... What I'm doing is, 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 is geared towards students who have struggled, who have never understood grammar, and, and ESL students mm -hmm. would, would also be an example of, of trying, because there's so many, there are more exceptions, I think, in English grammar, and that's why English is difficult for students, because of our hackneyed, our, all of our cliches that don't mean anything, and, and these odd grammar rules that we have. Okay, so what's something that's um, really special to you, and, and why is that? Um, as far as education goes, um, in life in well, general. Well, we'll say in life in general. What's something that's really special to you as, as, um, as a mom, as an educator, as a poet, as a writer? Um, I don't, I don't think there's really anything specific. I know that, um, it's important to me to enjoy something every day. So, like whether, you know, whether it's with my daughters or it's I'm on my own or whatever it is, you know, I just to take the time to enjoy it. So like for instance, if there's a storm brewing and, you know, and I'm like, we go out on the porch, you know, like we stop whatever we're doing and we go check out, you know, whatever. Or if, if we see, oh, there's this cool little exhibit down the road, like we'll just drop what we're doing, you know, like just trying to take advantage yeah. of the th things around us. And I do love living in Ghent because we can walk to, you know, the Stockton Garden Art Festival is a couple of blocks away, and downtown has to, and there's so much art mm -hmm. in Norfolk, like, it's just, um, you know. And they're building that new art gallery by ODU. Mm -hmm. I'm oh, really yes, excited about yes, that. Yes, yes, um, and, and, you know, I live a few blocks from Chrysler Museum, so, you know, I've taken my daughters to Stockton Gardens Art Fest and Chrysler Museum since they were <laughs> too little to even know what, what a painting was, you know. My daughter is very creative. Um, she has a, a very fun imagination and loves to draw a lot. Um, so I, I have little draw. I have a drawer full of just random pieces of paper or receipts or something that she has found to color on. Yeah. Um, she yeah. has such an appreciation for art, and that makes yes. me 
um, appreciate it just seeing how into it she is because yeah. um, I was never really an art person I guess I I didn't grow up with those kinds of influences my mm-hmm. parents aren't very um, like artsy people they're not very creative I, I didn't really have a lot of those influences um, so it was never something I got into until I moved to Norfolk and started seeing how many more um, opportunities there were for mm-hmm. my creative mind to flow mm-hmm. um, and that's something I've been very appreciative of yeah and I believe you know I do believe that kids love things like that and it's it's society sometimes or you know this this um, tendency for people to be like oh that's not realistic you can't do that that kind of kills that mm-hmm. so I think it's really important you know sort of a, a thing that I have of trying to get that idea that we you should all be creative and we can all create. So what's yeah. something that um, balances you? Um, I don't I mean I am the kind of person that I do like um, like quiet moments you know like like I do get up like an hour before anyone else gets up in the house and have my cup of coffee mm-hmm. and you know get my get focused for the day and in the summer when I have time <laughs> I take uh, yoga and bar and Pilates which I love so that helps but um, I am a really energetic person and I can I can get really worked up and really excited and I'll, I'll start talking faster and faster <laughs> so yeah I always have a tendency to like try to find a quiet space or tell myself, okay, calm down right now. <laughs> the peace is nice. <laughs> yeah. um, that's one thing I've learned living on my own. I, I never realized how much I appreciated peace until mm-hmm. I lived alone and then I had it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I do, like with my daughters, they're really energetic as kids are, um, and, and I, I try to, you know, engender that and be like, yes, that's great, but at the same time I also – like sort of say, you know, today we're going to stay at home and we're, we're going to create something or mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, uh, watch the rain or, you know, yeah, <laughs> and do just spend time together, like mm-hmm. relaxed. And, and you know, like doing that. I know families who go 24 seven, like they get up in the morning at seven o'clock every day, no matter if it's summer or the weekend and they're going, going, going. And That's I think me. it's important <laughs> to, um, to have those times when you just stay in your pajamas and you just create things, you know, that you have in the house or you talk about things or whatever. Yeah, that's a really great lesson for kids to learn, too, that you don't want to always have to be on the go and that it's nice to stay home and and relax and do those things. Um, That's a really awesome lesson for kids. So what do you hope to um, improve or change about um, your curriculum? Um, Every year I'm always looking at a way to to make it... um, more uh, applicable to students and to life. Um, That's always a key concept whenever I teach or I write curriculum or anything is the relevance because students a lot of time don't understand understand why they need to learn this historical event that happened with this thing that they read that happened 300 years ago. Um, (laughs) And so um, I have had, I have not always had great I mean, well, they may have been great teachers, but they just weren't great at um, putting the pieces together. And so it wasn't until I, well, probably about 10 years into my, into, into teaching that I was like, I don't know, it was just kind of like everything became 
3D or something, you know, and how connected all of those things were, the mm -hmm. art and the history. And even though I had had courses in all of those things, I'd never had a, a teacher, like, point to those things and put them together. And I was like, why don't teachers, you know, do this more? Um, and so I always tell my students why we're doing something and what we're getting out of it mm -hmm. and why it's important to, to take it, to look at these things together. And so no matter how ancient the piece or how classic or whatever, whatever the deal is with it, I always tie it in to something that's relevant because to me that's, that's the point. Mm -hmm. so. um, well, that, um, that's really awesome and I think that writing a curriculum seems really difficult but you seem to have got it nailed down. So that's a really great um, opportunity that you have that that could go somewhere really far. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I, I hope so for you. That's really great. Yeah. Um, so my last question, um, like I said, I ask everybody the same first question, who are you? And the same last question is um, why do you empower women or why is it important to you to empower other women? Um, I think it's really important, especially when we look at girls and all the studies of how society um, kind of teaches them to be quiet and to be accepting of things. And I think that if we want to survive as a species, we are going to all have to be empowered and we're all going to have to work together. And so, you know, I think that that's important. I try to balance my curriculum so that, you know, I, I don't ever want to over-represent women necessarily or minorities or anything but I at the same time you look at history and they have been so underrepresented you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, definitely you know I, I always pull from a lot of women writers I think women writers bring and you can you can google it and read a lot about it how the different perspective of women writers and we see it in films recently like like Wrinkle in Time mm -hmm. where you can you can feel there's a difference with how women look at things and the things that they've brought to the table. So these things are really like important to me. <laughs> so, and I just always hope that that comes across. That's really awesome. Um, I recently, um, I didn't have a lot of strong women influences growing mm -hmm. up. So um, moving to the South Side, I have met so many empowered women and um, it got the, um, I got the idea for the podcast at a, um, Ralph, Ralph Northam um, event that they mm -hmm. hosted at Waterside. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in a room surrounded by all these strong women mm -hmm. that I had recently met that I wanted to learn more about. Um, and I needed a creative way to do that. Right. Um, and I want to host my own radio show one day. So I thought the podcast was a, a great a way, way to start. start. And yeah. I have met so many wonderful women. I have so many interviews lined up to, to interview more. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just uh, been a really empowering journey for me personally to, to meet all these creative women and mm -hmm. um, steal their ideas at times. Mm -hmm. That's been a lot of fun, too. <laughs> I give them credit. I give them a lot of credit. Um, but I really appreciate you coming. Mm -hmm. I, I know this was a um, little jumbled or hustled, oh, but um, your answers <laughs> were great. Like <laughs> yeah. um, but it's been really awesome getting to know you and learning more about your curriculum and the work that you do. I think that um, children really have a great teacher. Well, thank you. You're I try. Welcome. I try. That's all I can do. I think that you're doing great. I'm not even one of your students, and I kind of hope that I was. Um, so thank you so much for coming, and thank you for listening to Women of the Seven Cities, and tune in again to hear another Empowered Women story.
Thank you for listening to Women of the Seven Cities podcast. Give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or visit our website at sevencitieswomen.wordpress.com.